1: the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses a Seizures. you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host Greg Blaze. On today's show, we're going to be continuing the discussion about creating new cheeses. Last week, we talked a bit about the inspiration for Sugar House Creamery cheeses with Margot Brooks and her partnership with Crown Finish Caves here in Brooklyn. Uh, we also had our friend Yos Voltó crash your party, which was a lot of fun. This week, I'm very excited to have Maisie jacobs Britchford and Matthew Bridgeford of Jacobs and Bridgeford Farmstead Cheese on the line. Thank you guys so much both for coming on today. How you doing? Great.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, um, suffering a little bit of a cold, so I was glad I was able to get through with the pronunciation of all of those Richfords fruits uh, <laughs> at <Yes>. once <laughs> so um, leslie and matthew produce some uh, fantastic award-winning uh, raw milk cheeses in southeastern indiana from their grass-fed jersey norman and Tarantase cross cows uh, i'd love to start off by asking you about your farm uh, how'd you get into the business and why'd you start making cheese
3: Well, I've uh, been uh, in the management intensive grazing and grass farming since the late 80s and uh, dairy seemed a better way to uh, focus that and uh, when we started the dairy in 95, we always had the notion of uh, making cheese one day and we put that off for quite a while and and we've only been running for uh, the past three years.
1: You got the farm in 81, right? is when you uh,
3: we moved here, the farm has been in my family since the early
1: 1800s. oh that's fantastic, and it was always uh um, oh excuse me, so you but you just said you put off my making cheese till out the midnight till the mid nineties or so or yeah
3: uh, no, we just started three years ago. I right. started the dairy in ninety right. five uh, uh, we were grazing beef and sheep before that, and then we started with the dairy. We were shipping regular commodity milk we did not have a and organic or uh, we're we're not certified organic but we didn't have any uh marketing opportunities other than direct marketing or the co-op. Yeah. And uh, we were a we've always been a New Zealand style uh seasonal dairy and yeah. fed grain when we started but for about the past eight ten years we've been uh grass only. And um uh, but we just I don't know, we just took our time <laughs> getting the cheese going. We we did a lot of research, uh went to France and visited a lot of uh farmstead operations, uh and then uh we
1: finally got around to do it and we're happy to have it. I mean, I I was um, a neophyte to your cheese until I went um, to to visit. Not to visit, <laughs> I went to help b- uh, build um, the the cheese counter in um, in Italy in Chicago, as when um, about two years ago when I was introduced to your cheese through a bunch of cheesemongers there, the uh, Amerabella and. Um, I love it. Uh, it's, I think it's one of the best raw milk cheeses, uh, best washed rind cheeses which I collect um, that I buy in America. So, um, well, thank so, you. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic stuff. It's, uh, it's really, like, funky and... Uh, and earthy which i which i personally enjoy but i read on your website that you follow nature's rhythm of milking in this you said in a new zealand style outdoor parlor which sounds pretty swanky so i wondered if you could tell me what that means and about you know about that and why that method matters and um if that affects your cheese
3: uh well i think uh uh well the milking method doesn't but they're grazing and then the being seasonal does but uh I'm a farmer that makes cheese. I'm not really a cheese maker. I've got a lot to learn before I could ever call myself that. And and we got in this to find a way to add value to our milk, uh, not so much as a passion for making cheese, but we like to do what we do well. So
1: we certainly that's do.
3: That's what we've tried to do. Uh, but um, our parlor is open air, although we put tarps and, and things up and freezer flaps to uh make it a little more user friendly on the beginning and the end of our season but we 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 have uh starting in mid-March and we try to be done by early May we've got some uh drag on the hardest thing about having a seasonal herd is keeping them seasonal and and we are seasonal because we do not feed any grain and we want to have uh the peak of their lactation coincide with the peak forage production uh, on the farm.
1: Sure, that's uh, why the milk tastes so good. Right,
3: and I think that the cheeses that we've uh, chosen to make and uh, are you know are, are enhanced by being a hundred percent grass
1: fed. Yeah, and and um, so on last week's episode, um, the gal I was talking to, Margot, uh, she talked a bit about how she selected. Uh, the breed of cow for her, for her farm that took into account the geography and the climate in upstate New York, and how that affected the styles of cheese that she produces. Um, I mean, did your did your process for choosing the breeds of cow have anything to do with that? Um, yeah,
3: um, you know, today you would think we were in upstate New York because it's in the low teens and snowing here. But oh, I wish it was pretty, in the low we have teens. Very here. hot, humid summer. So. Uh, yeah. So we're away south of the traditional grass-dairy belt, you know, around the Great Lakes, and, and uh, so that we've got to try and compensate for that. But uh, uh, we, uh, uh, so yeah, that, the, the the climate plays into that a lot with the grazing.
1: So you guys are a total family operation, and uh, Maisie, do you help to make the cheese, too? Or are you, uh, are you...
2: Are- I- I have. Um, I I would not say that I regularly do. I actually um, live in Chicago, and so I handle um, our marketing, and I work with a lot of our distributors, and, you know, go out and do demos, um, kind of talk to the people a bit more, um, whereas, you know, my parents are on the farm. My dad, you know, makes the cheese and deals with uh, herd management, and then I have another sister who is on the farm, and... She, you know, works with the cows and does a bit more um, on the farm side. So, it, I mean, we're definitely a family business. Um, awesome. But I'm not as involved in the production as I am so much in getting it into people's mouths.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how. That, but that's awesome. And did you, did you go to? Did you move to Chicago uh, specifically for that, or did you go to no, school? No, I or?
2: am. I am. Um, Working in another field full time, and then I do the cheese as
1: um, Help to the family. And
2: a way to be involved <laughs> with the uh, family business.
1: Oh, that's pretty awesome. I, um, you know, at the fancy food show in San Fran, our, our producer Emily Acosta asked a bunch of cheese professionals, you know, what they thought. The most important topic in cheese today was, for our listeners, uh, you can find that episode on the Heritage Radio homepage. And one of the topics that was mentioned was sustainability. And I saw on the, your website you have this great sentence in your bio that says, We believe in a sustainable future, and our cheese is one way we can bring that vision to you. And I was wondering if either of you guys would care to elaborate on that for me. Like, What does sustainability mean to you guys?
3: Well, uh, for me, I mean the the main, like I said earlier, the main uh, reason for getting into this was to find a way to keep the farm running. Uh, commodity dairying was uh, uh, kind of harsh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. At the end of the year, you're thinking, "Do I want to do this again?" <laughs> and Absolutely. Rather than looking forward to it. Uh, cheese making is a, a lot more interesting, <laughs> and uh, then uh, bouncing along. <laughs> with the commodity markets, of course, you know, all the time. I mean, milk has been really high lately, but it wasn't, you know, for the 10 years uh, prior to that. <laughs> so uh, so uh, that's the main thing about, you know, sustainability, to be able to keep, you know, a viable uh, farm operation. has been in my family for, uh, you know, close to 200 years, and, and, and uh, every generation has had to find a way to make it work. And, and, so,
1: and yours is cheese. And is that yeah. working? Can you see it? Can you see it? I'm, I'm bringing oh, you yeah. through.
3: We've we've come a long way in a hurry, and uh, it's. I mean, we did we did a lot of uh, background work before we started, but uh, uh, I definitely like it a lot more than what I was doing several years ago. I mean, before we finally pulled the plug and said it's time to uh, uh, make cheese, uh, I was milking uh, 240 cows. I had, you were. Uh, I had a yeah twice <laughs> a day feeding grain. I had wow. a lot of turnover in in labor I can imagine and uh, I was working about twenty hours a day, and I was pretty well fed up with that. <laughs>
1: How the hell do you work twenty hours a day?
3: What do you hang from a bar in the in your in <laughs> but, your farm
1: for a few hours at night just to rest up? my god yeah, that's
3: pretty much was the way it, the way it went that year, and you know when you have livestock you you've got to do that or and so, so anyway we, we that's when we decided this is this is it it's time to we sold down to 50 cows and then started building a plant at that point in time. but but anyway um, you know we needed to find a way to uh, that's a little more comfortable to uh, uh, make a living on a family farm and and by value added and staying as a farmstead uh, business we you know we just we're We're expanding our herd a little bit from where we started, but we only want to be so big and and then uh, uh we'll make as much cheese as we can and then if you know that's not enough, somebody else will have to make it and I think that's a more sustainable vision for our rural economy here and uh also for us
1: yeah. well, the cheese travels further than the than the milk, I'm sure right yeah. I mean oh, yeah. Maisie, are you getting a lot of right. good accounts out there makes- in Chicago? What was that? Are you getting a lot of good new accounts out there in Chicago and in the surrounding areas? Yeah, I mean, we work
2: on, um, I mean, I mostly try to work on getting us new distributors. Um, That's just a a better way for us to go because um, it's kind of more bang for your buck, basically. We prefer to work with um, a couple of distributors that work really well for us. Um, and they can get it to as many people as possible rather than, you know, deal with tons and tons of individual retail accounts. Um, However, we also kind of try to to come at it from both directions. So we work with retailers as well and then put them in touch with our distributors. Um, So we kind of work at it from both directions. Um, And and going back to your point about sustainability, I think that – you know my dad was really touching on about how we we do want to make this you know a viable business that can continue particularly looking at the context of our family history on that farm but we also you know look at the cows and the land and how we can have sustainable practices that way um, and you know we he always says that he's a farmer that makes cheese And he says he's a grass farmer because we really focus on the grass. And so I think when we're talking about sustainability, it's important to mention those factors as well. Um, We're now working with pigs as well, and we're feeding them the way. So there really is a holistic approach um, to the way that we, you know, make cheese. Um, And I think that that's um, an important aspect particularly something that I see because I work with the people who are purchasing our cheese and that's what people really like to hear about you know Absolutely. they like to see the pictures of the farm they like to you know know where their products are coming from um, and I think that's definitely something that's changed in the market um, you know maybe maybe years ago on the coast and in the metropolitan areas but we're seeing it You know, nationwide for sure. Um, And I think that, you know, getting out there doing demos really helps us kind of tell people more about what our farm is about and what our cheese is about. Um, And the sustainability really plays a part in, you know, what people want to know about
1: absolutely and that's um that's a good thing that's happening in our world. you' got to come on the radio and talk to people like me about your farm and tell us about your cheese because people want to know that the things that they buy the things that they're supporting are supporting as your dad just said or you just said to me Matt, a smaller uh, sort of circles of uh, of rural agriculture um, which right
3: and the, also, back, on top yeah. of that i i um, you know the whole know your farmer uh Type of thing, and now we we expand a little more than just local, local. But uh, 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 knowing where your food comes from is so important, and and it's the only way to really to really trust what you're getting uh, is to do you know do your homework and know who's producing it and where it comes from.
1: Something that worries me always, and it's why I started to do what I do here on the radio, and it's why I've worked with cheese for so long. And I don't think that I knew it when I first started working with cheese, but what I've come to know is that um, all of these things we do, when, when you talk specifically about cheese, you're supporting this lifestyle that's very threatened, in my opinion, and um, could very easily go away. So I always really like to find new producers or, or producers that are new to me, which you are, um, you know, and and uh, and understand that you guys are. I've always been doing for hundreds of years the same, you know, the same thing as supporting like supporting those smaller like those circles of agriculture. But um, I, I like that that people out there now, like you say, in the heartland of America, or just people in, in space places where maybe information wasn't as available to them know where their food comes from and i'm sure that that's encouraging to you and your mission and both as farmers on a small level and as people mm-hmm. you know well this is a good spot for us to take a break so um, when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about some new cheeses that are made on the jacobson and farmstead and uh, we will be right back cheers
0: You are listening to Intrigue by OB City.
1: The Dairy Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're
0: listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Network.org.
1: Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. Before the break, we were talking with uh, Maisie and Matthew of Jacobs and Richford Farmstead Cheese in Indiana about their farm and their cows and their philosophy. And now I'd like to talk a little bit more about your cheeses, guys. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your recent win for a Marabella at the 2015 Good Food Awards. I could and have eaten a lot of that cheese. It's become a standard at my counter. So congrats there. Um, I was wondering um if you guys could tell me a little bit or matthew if you could tell me a little bit about your inspiration for making a marabella as well as your other two amazing cheeses everton and brianna
3: well i kind of uh dropped the ball there earlier when i was talking about the cows and and that figures into what we're what we're doing here um when we started we were we had mostly jersey uh cows for the grazing purposes and um we found that they were not hardy uh, enough to uh, make it under our program, so we, we we usually it was a matter of not getting them bred back or whatever. So we we burn a lot of cows out uh, that way. You
1: burned a lot and of cows so,
3: out. Well, I mean, you just, <laughs> they don't they don't rebreed breed uh, yeah. they breed late, and then I end up selling them to a, another dairy or something. And, Jersey
1: wasn't the right breed for you.
3: Well, no, uh, we didn't have the proper Jersey. Genetics here, or I did not have access to them. So I started um, looking for something to make my cows a little more dual purpose, and a uh-huh. little hardy, hardier. And I met Jerome Chateau from Normandy Genetics, and we started uh, crossbreeding with Normandies. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we went to France and visited a lot of Farmstead cheese operations, and I fell in love with uh, Tarentaise cattle. And and and. Um, some of my well, two of the cheeses we we're making are are, are that we're trying to copy or emulate are are from uh, uh, Tarentaise cattle. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that that really
1: ties. Did in. you visit a lot of dairies or a lot of cheese making operations in eastern France in the Tarentaise in the big plain there? Is that where, is that where you? Uh, where you were ta- you're talking about the the Briana? Yeah, we, and the and we went.
3: We went and visited operations. It was in Normandy and Brittany, you yeah. know, and also down in, in Haute Savoy. Right. And and so uh, that was a, a great time, <laughs> and I'm we learned sure. a lot. We were hosted by uh, uh, breed associations, and uh, they really bent over backwards to show us what uh, Farmstead cheesemaking was all about, and it was uh, very informative. But uh, so that you know figured into, uh, you know uh, what uh, types of cheeses we we started out with. I, I uh, uh, wanted to make a, a good Gruyere, and uh, so we uh, we did one of those, and then we uh, wanted something a little little younger, and so we picked on a, a, our Brianna, so kind of like a Fontina. And and we and we uh, chose that, and then the Amarabella was just kind of a afterthought, and uh, we just decided we needed something that we can get out the door a little quicker, and so uh, uh, we we came up with that.
0: And, uh, and that. That's
1: the one that goes really well. I mean, I buy a little bit of of uh, Brianna, but. Maisie, you were saying about the the distribution for your cheese is is difficult for me on the on the not difficult. I think it's it's uh it's at the early stages in the for me to get it here on the East Coast. I got some Brianna that I really really loved. My um, guess laugh. I do food matters again to get your uh to get your uh, and uh, we we sell a lot of that. Is that uh, Maisie? What you what you sell the most of? Obviously, everywhere.
2: You know, um, we. We do sell the most of Marabella when it comes to amount of bricks sold, because you know it's it's small, it's easy, um, you know, particularly when people want to try something new it's it's really easy to buy a two and a half pound you know brick. Right. Um, but volume wise, we sell a lot of the everton as well. Um, that one is just sold in those larger wheels, so you know it, it's it's hard to make that direct comparison um because you know when people buy a wheel of everton they're buying 25 right. pounds of cheese it's a
1: different investment um,
3: we sell so, a lot more poundage of so everton poundage, than we do. you know we're that's selling
2: right. as much everton um, but you know i think we get the Amerabella into more varieties of places and i think it's um, more widely available
1: that's surprising to me just as a cheesemonger be well it is isn't and is isn't, because, you know, the Amarabella is this stinky sort of uh, squishy, gooey cheese that would seem to um, appeal to a smaller amount of people. Um, but yet you use that to get in first because you have so much of it. Um, and you said the Everton well, – well, yes?
3: It's, it's interesting. Like with the, with the Brianna, uh-huh. uh, it is definitely the public's favorite whenever we do uh, uh, demos places the public likes the brianna the most however it's not that way with distributors <laughs> so yeah. uh so i don't know what what we have to do to to make that you know make it more appealing to them but uh, uh so we'll you know
1: yeah well, you just yeah. It, it'll it'll work itself out i mean in right. my in my experience you know you'll find a uh, Cheese shops as you as you spread out a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, so my, the brianna is my favorite too. Um, I had a, a wheel of it. I pre-ordered it through uh, through Food Matters again. Got it in, and I brought it up to the to our beer restaurant at Italy called the Benedetta, and they were doing a beer tasting up there and. Um, Everybody just flipped out over it, you know. And then, uh, but I only had one wheel of it, you know. And then I got either I either got lazy or stupid or both, and I didn't reorder it, you know, because I had, because dis- distributors think they think it's harder for them just to have those larger wheels. They don't want them mm-hmm. lying around. Um, I didn't know that that was a Fontina recipe, though. Um, I thought I thought the. Uh, because I sell a lot of fontina, I run an Italian cheese shop. Uh, but um, that's interesting for me to know. I really liked but it was my favorite. It has this really weird greenish hue that I like. I like about it, and I love the curdy nature of the of the cheese. Uh, uh, that's interesting. Where do... yeah, it's
3: it's a washed curd uh, uh, cheese, so you know, like like a fontina.
1: But they, so the Everton's a Gruyere recipe. Or a, mm-hmm. And uh, so how long typically is that aged out?
3: Uh, seven or eight months uh, is about the earliest we want to let it go. Now we have our premium reserve, which is uh, something we have that's uh, close to two years old. And, and, and we really like that. It's very sharp and, and uh, uh, it's been doing well.
1: So you've been holding on to some of those wheels for almost as long as you've been making and selling cheese then?
3: Yeah, yeah. We we with the uh we kick a few back out of every batch and and save them for that. The the Brianna does not have that kind of uh, lifespan. <laughs> so,
1: uh, does it not? What, what do you do those at about eight, about eight months? You said six or eight six months?
3: Yeah, yeah. Seven or eight months generally is uh, uh, when we get uh, you know really get the flavor we want.
1: Yeah, that's some fantastic stuff. We got to work on uh, getting more of that out, more of that out here, because I, uh, okay. <laughs> I will, I, I will do that. that. I will, I will, I will get right on that. Um, <laughs> I also, um, uh, Emily brought us back uh, some of your newest cheese called Adair. Is that a correct pronunciation?
3: Yes, it's an uh, old uh, Scottish surname that's common in my family. That, well, uh, a, a lot of the women in my family have had that as a middle name. But Adair? we, we we yeah we tend to well, that's where we go for names,
1: nice. <laughs> family and the community. That's cool. Um, so can you tell us about that? What kind, what's your um, your recipe origin there, and uh, what was the inspiration for making that?
3: Well, we started off. I mean, it's another Tarentaise uh, type of cheese uh, as a, a reblochon, and it's you know we're we're far from that, um, uh, but that's what we. Uh, I worked with. Uh, uh, one of our uh, uh, culture suppliers uh, to uh, help come up with uh, reblochon recipes, and I, I took uh, several of them and uh, synthesized them and, and came up with with what we're doing
1: now. That's a lost cheese. I have. I mean, that's that's a that's a great cheese, uh, reblochon, and it's one that can I can never. I mean, the ones well, that I just can't get them anymore. Obviously, you
3: know. For, well, you can't get a raw milk one. Because uh, they're like a 45 day cheese or something like that. But yeah. uh, we bought a pasteurized one at a cheese event we were <laughs> recently in. It was terrible.
1: Yeah, it's not good. It, <laughs> it's, it's not good it stuff.
3: Was really, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah.
1: You got to either, like, smuggle in those green label ones, which, you know, obviously I would be be above doing. I would never do something like that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're not. <laughs> I, I'm a, it's not that kind of guy. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, the, the other ones aren't good. So these these are great. I mean, when we tasted it, it was a little younger. It was firm. Um, and it mm-hmm. ha, it was a you know the amabella Amer- has this sort of long uh, beginning and end and this one was quick and clean finish it was a little uh, a little acidic um, in a pleasant way um, but um when it, when do you think uh, you're going to are you still in uh, developmental stages of that or are you um, well no we're we're selling to it?
3: move some now and and we and we we start uh, production again here in a few weeks but um um, you know, I've got, you know, there's a lot of things we need to tweak on that, but uh all the rest of our cheeses are very much on the savory side, so we wanted yeah. to do something that was a little more lactic and and a little smoother and and um uh, uh you know, just just uh you wanted to different. go a
1: different way. Different. Yeah. Totally. So, Macy, as far as marketing uh, the cheese goes, and this is uh, because you you know you have these these first certain flavor profiles uh, fits in. Um, do you have a, a particular strategy for positioning your cheese in the market? I mean, do you do you intentionally want to be known for one particular cheese like a Marabella? Or do you how do you match all of these uh, things you're doing with your animals and your cheese making processes? You know, with actually making money and selling cheese.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I I think that we. Um, you know, we only have four cheeses, so I think that we very easily can stick in consumers' minds with all four of those cheeses. Um, so we don't want to be known just as, you know, the people who make a Marabella. Yeah. Although, you know, we, we are, and we're proud of a Marabella, but we do want to, you know, work to continue to find markets for all four of our cheeses. Um, and the beauty of the Adair, which is the new cheese, is that it is also small format. So we think it will be another cheese to help open doors. Absolutely. Um, because that's you know that's kind oh, of what yeah. the Amarabella has been for us. Um, because when we first started, the Amarabella was, first of all, it was available first. So, because of the aging. So, you know, it was two months old, and that's what people got. That was the first impression, um, basically. And then as the other cheeses um, became available, We had used, you know, we went to the people who were already carrying the Amirabella and had them try our other cheeses, and, you know, that kind of opened the door. Um, And we think that the Adair will also help do that, um, particularly because it is um, a milder profile. I think it's going to find um, a pretty wide audience. Um, And I I think that will continue to help the sales of all the cheese. because we kind of see that each of our cheeses fills a different niche, Um, And we like to think of our cheeses, you know, as they're versions of cheeses that you could get in um, Europe, but they're an American take on them. Um, And so we feel like we're filling a market need that is not necessarily met through other American producers. Um, And so I think that... You know, I love it when we we do demos and, you know, sometimes there are people who are visiting from France or Italy and they get so excited about our cheeses because, you know, they didn't know that they could find this being made in the United States. Um, And that's always, you know, uh, a really good feeling for us because we're, you know, bringing some of that taste of Europe
1: Yet yeah, the cheeses are distinctly yours. Um, you, know, you know, Indiana.
2: Yeah. That... Um, <laughs> and so we, we definitely think we're kind of, we're going for a small section of the market, but we're just trying to do it really well, um, and hopefully, you know, each of our cheeses fits into a dish- different niche, and I, I think so far that that's working well for us. I mean, obviously, we have room to grow, but we're still young, um, so... I, I definitely think we're on the right path.
1: you ever think you're going to make a as, blue you know, cheese?
2: Getting all the different cheeses out there.
1: Matthew, do you ever think you'll make any blue cheese?
3: Uh, no, I um, I haven't thus far. <laughs> but never. I, I haven't ruled it out.
1: Um, there is um, a great a weird blue cheese I got that always reminds me of the of Tarrant. Well, the Tarantay the place where it was a big, massive block of cow cheese that they just sort of uh, – uh, allowed, uh, they you know they they put the they just allowed uh, <clears throat> the uh, the the oxygen sort of penetrate the rind. Uh, the blue dip termignon, I think it was called, and I haven't seen it in years for some reason. Uh, the paste of your uh, brianna kind of reminded me of that cheese. Just an offshoot question, but you guys also have some sheep, right?
3: Yeah, done that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you guys also have a little bit, a uh, small flock of sheep, right?
3: Yes, we have some. Uh, um... They're hair sheep, uh, so they're pretty much kind of a free range.
1: <laughs> Would you ever consider making uh, cheese from the milk of other animals, like sheep, or
3: maybe yours? As long as I don't have to milk them.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: All right. I'd, I'd love to be able to buy uh, goat's milk uh, and, and do something in the winter when we're down, but I, I, you know, we've, we're pretty busy here already, so I'm not going to start a goat dairy, but... Uh, no? Oh, if somebody up? else wanted to, I would, I, would, I would welcome that, but I'm not going to
1: Maisie, are you going to come back and run that? Uh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm quite content. <laughs> um, doing less of the manual labor.
3: <laughs> well, you guys they, see also... All my girls grew up milking cows, so... <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah, we, I, I personally feel I got my son with
3: that.
1: <laughs> yeah? You pass through that. You pass through that portion. So then you get... <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I mean, you guys sound like a great, uh, a great family team. And, uh, you know, I love your cheese. I want to I wanna thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the show today. Um, I love your cheeses, truly. And it's a pleasure getting to talk to you. Uh, for, for all of you out there, be sure to check out our Instagram, Cutting the Curd, One Word, for some sexy pictures of Jacobs and Bridgeford cheese, especially the Amerabella. And um, so I well, want you guys to tune in next week for Diane Snemple's book review. Um, hope you had a great time listening. Have a good week. Cheers.
0: The theme song for cutting the curd is Cheese Gainsburg by Tax Star.